this morning in connection with the instruction of the Heidelberg Catechism, we read Isaiah chapter 45. Last week we read Isaiah 43 in connection with the providence of God. Now we read this in connection with God being our Savior through the Son. This is the passage where God shows his Savior, first of all, by naming the man, the great king, who will do God's work by letting his people go from the captivity of Babylon and names him long, long before he even comes into being and gives him his commission, his marching orders. And God does that, of course, especially to demonstrate that he is Savior for his people and lay out in this passage how he is that. Isaiah 45. Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden, to subdue nations before him, and I will loose the loins of kings, to open before him the two-leaved gates, and the gates shall not be shut. I will go before thee, and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of brass, and cut in sunder the bars of iron. And I will give thee the treasures of darkness, and hidden riches of secret places, that thou mayest know that I, the Lord, which call thee by thy name, am the God of Israel. For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, mine elect, I have even called thee by thy name. I have surnamed thee, though thou hast not known me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Drop down, ye heavens, from above, and let the skies pour down righteousness. Let the earth open, and let them bring forth salvation, and let righteousness spring up together. I, the Lord, have created it. Woe unto him that striveth with his Maker. Let the potsherd strive with the potsherds of the earth. Shall the clay say to him that fashioneth it, What makest thou, or thy work? He hath no hands. Woe unto him that saith unto his father, What begettest thou? Or to the woman, What hast thou brought forth? Thus saith the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, and his Maker, Ask me of things to come concerning my sons, and concerning the work of my hands command ye me. 
I have made the earth and created man upon it. I, even my hands, have stretched out the heavens and all their host have I commanded. I have raised him up in righteousness and I will direct all his ways. He shall build my city and he shall let go my captives, not for price nor reward, saith the Lord of hosts. Thus saith the Lord, the labor of Egypt and merchandise of Ethiopia and of the Sabaeans, men of stature, shall come over unto thee, and they shall be thine. They shall come after thee. In chains they shall come over, and they shall fall down unto thee. They shall make supplication unto thee, saying, Surely God is in thee, and there is none else. There is no God. Verily thou art a God that hidest thyself, O God of Israel, the Savior. They shall be ashamed, and also confounded all of them. They shall go to confusion together that are makers of idols. But Israel shall be saved in the Lord with an everlasting salvation. Ye shall not be ashamed nor confounded world without end. For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it. He hath established it. He created it not in vain and formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is none else. I have not spoken in secret in a dark place of the earth. I said not unto the seed of Jacob, Seek ye me in vain. I, the Lord, speak righteousness. I declare things that are right. Assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, ye that are escaped of the nations. They have no knowledge that set up the wood of their graven image and pray unto a God that cannot save. Tell ye, and bring them near. Yea, let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from ancient time? Who hath told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? And there is no God else beside me. A just God and a Savior, there is none beside me. Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else. I have sworn by myself, the word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness, and shall not return, that unto me every knee should bow, every tongue shall swear. Surely shall one say, In the Lord have I righteousness and strength. Even to him shall men come, and all that are incensed against him shall be ashamed. In the Lord shall all the seed of Israel be justified and shall glory. We read that far in God's holy word. Consider this morning the instruction of the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 11. Why is the Son of God called Jesus, that is, a Savior? Because he saveth us and delivereth us from our sins. And likewise, because we ought not to seek, neither can find salvation in any other. Do such then believe in Jesus, the only Savior, who seek their salvation and welfare of saints, of themselves, 
or anywhere else. They do not. For though they boast of him in words, yet in deeds they deny Jesus the only deliverer and savior. For one of these two things must be true, either that Jesus is not a complete savior, or that they who by a true faith receive this savior must find all things in him necessary to their salvation. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Heidelberg Catechism now turns to its explanation of the second main topic of the Apostles' Creed, namely, God the Son. And we learn here that the Son, like the Father, is God. It's evident when the Heidelberg Catechism points out that He's the only begotten Son. If He is begotten by God, then He is truly God. And that's also evident when the Catechism says that we believe in Him. The Son is not merely an object of faith like the communion of saints or the forgiveness of sins, but we literally believe in Him. That is, faith has its source in Him as well as its ending in Him. The Catechism also emphasizes here a difference in the work of the persons, yet reminding us that it's all one work of God. We must remember that although the work of the Father emphasizes and highlights God the Father as the source and origin of all things, so that we looked at especially creation and providence as the work of God the Father, yet we must never forget that this is the work of the entire triune being of God, that we must see God as our Father, exactly because one person of the being of God is Father. So that we could see last week even that God created by His Son. So also with regard to the Son, what's highlighted here is that this Son is our Savior. That it is especially the work of salvation that highlights and emphasizes the person of the Son. It is the Son who is crucified on the cross in His flesh. And yet, we may never forget that God is revealing this through His Son so that we remember God, the entire triune being of God. God is Father, God is Son, and God is Holy Spirit is Savior. What's brought out by this explanation of the Son of God as Savior is two things. Number one, what is unique about the Son as opposed to the other two persons, 
What is distinct is that it is only the Son who becomes incarnate, who takes on human flesh. Again, the entire triune being is involved in that. But it is uniquely the work of the person that he takes on human flesh, becomes a man. And the emphasis is upon the fact that the Son of God is Savior in that human flesh. Not simply Savior as the Son of God. Also, in that work, God is revealing something about Himself. Even as God reveals through creation and providence that He is the source and origin of all things, visible and invisible, so also by examining the life of God in the Son, we see that God reveals Himself and accomplishes His work and the work of His mind or the thoughts and plans of His mind in His work only through the Son. The idea is that we could not even know God as Father except through the Son. And so there is emphasis in the Catechism upon the fact that He is the only Savior. That's to bring out that we cannot know God except through His Son. And we cannot know and receive salvation except through His Son. So consider with me, I believe in God the Son. We notice in the first place the Savior, then the salvation, and finally the saved. First the Savior. As with God the Father, our Creator and Provider, something that was very much highlighted in the passage we read, much like Isaiah 43, Isaiah 44, God repeats over and over again that He's the only God. There is none other. Part of the evidence of that is that He's the only Creator, the only Maker, and the only Provider of that creation that He has made. He is the One who as Father creates men, establishes them in their kingdom, even sets them over the kingdoms of the earth as He did with Cyrus. He's the God who makes men, who makes nations, and who accomplishes His will. But notice also in that same passage how God repeats again and again that He is Savior. And it is especially that which He wants to reveal and know. It's one thing that men know that He is Maker, that He is Creator, that He is Provider, but that's not all that God wants to reveal. He is Savior. He is Savior. That is, there are those outside of God. There are those other than God who are lost, who are in perdition, who have no hope, who are in bondage to their enemies, who are slaves. And God alone is the one who can save them. And here too, in that passage, the emphasis is upon that only God 
The one true God can do that. And by their inability to do that, all other gods are exposed as false. Remarkable thing in and of itself. How God through time and history has deliberately and powerfully exposed every idol god that men has ever made and shown that it is false. He even does that with regard to ourselves. Others may not see, but God sees the idols that we set up in our heart, that we set up in our living rooms, that we set up in the banker's place of business, God knows there are idols. He sees that there are idols. And that He sets things in motion because He is the Savior to show to us in our stubborn pride that they can't save us. That in a day of trouble, they're helpless. That they cannot bring us happiness. We have made them idols thinking that they do. We serve them in the sense that we think that they are the ones who bring us blessedness, that are make our life a life that's worth living, that provide us with all that we need. And God brings economic trouble. He brings all sorts of trouble. He brings misery and affliction upon us so that when we turn to those gods, we find they're worthless. The ungodly, the reprobate, never learn that lesson. That God is Savior, God reveals to all men. That too is in Isaiah 45. That all men will come to see who and what God is and acknowledge it. But only some, those whom He actually saves, will worship and glorify Him and turn to him by faith as Savior. So the emphasis here is upon God as Savior. Now as I pointed out, underlying the reality that God is Savior, and that God especially reveals Himself as Savior through His Son, something that anyone that has any understanding of the Scriptures can see is significant that it's especially salvation that is attributed to the Son that God sends His Son into the earth to accomplish salvation. So underlying that is something about God that we must recognize. And that is that God reveals who He is. He reveals the deepest secrets of who He is. For example, that God is indeed a God of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that God lives a covenant life, a life of fellowship as friends, yet one, one being. God reveals the wonderful character of who and what He is. That He is the God of all power. There is no power beside Him. The God of all knowledge, all wisdom, all understanding. 
That God is the God of righteousness and holiness. That God is the God of mercy and grace. God reveals all those things only one way. And that is through His Son. God the Father never reveals a single thing about Himself, about who He is, what He does, what He's thought and planned, without revealing it through His Son. This explains, in part, the names that are associated with the Son, why He is called in Scripture the Word. The Word is how we communicate. Words are how we reveal things about our heart, about our intentions, about our love one for another. He is called in Scripture the wisdom of God. That is, the one who reveals God's plan. Many, many more names with regard to the Son. He is the light of God. The glorious light of God. Light out of light. And that's the idea too that the second person is known as the Son. Sons are images of ourselves. In our life it's very imperfect that we beget sons like unto ourselves. That's a dim, dim reflection of the reality that God begets one eternally in His own being who is the perfect and full revelation of God the Father. And that that is accomplished by the procession of the Spirit. That must be made a point of because even when we consider the Son of God as Jesus, and the Son of God as Jesus the Savior, we may never forget that that is done, first of all, not for our sakes. Oh yes, there are wonderful benefits and blessings in the reality that God is Savior for us, and for our children and children's children. But we must understand there is something that's being revealed here about God. In fact, we may even put it this way. If it were not for the fact that God wonderfully and amazingly revealed Himself as our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord, we would never know God. We would not know God as He is. We would not know God as He wants to be known. It's an amazing, amazing thing. One can even reflect upon that by going back to the garden. We talk about Adam and Eve and the perfection they had and the knowledge of God they had and the wonderful covenant life they had with God. And yet there was something missing. Something not revealed about God in all the fullness and all the glory and all the wonder and all the splendor that would be revealed through the sending of the Son that was promised in Genesis 3.15 with regard to Jesus the Christ. And that is God as Savior. How could Adam and Eve know anything about God as Savior 
in their perfect state? How could they have really any conception of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? No, truly, the full revelation of God except through the Son, Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thing that's brought up time and time in our creeds, although you sometimes have to look for it. And it's worth looking for. Go through our creeds, go through the Scriptures, and try to divorce, if you can, yourself from the revelation of God as saving you or saving the church. Somewhat hard to do. But simply look at it from God's perspective. What God is revealing about Himself. Never mind us for a moment. It's remarkable how the confession, the Belgic confession, for example, introduces the subject of the Son. Introduces the whole subject of salvation. Introduces the whole subject of the human and divine nature, the wonderful makeup of Christ, by saying something like this. That God wanted to reveal two things about Himself. Number one is righteous judgment, His justice, His absolute perfection. And then, at the same time, and with equal wonder, His mercy. And God did that through Jesus Christ. It says God reveals that in election and reprobation, number one, but then the execution of that through Jesus Christ. That without Him, we might know somewhat of the righteousness of God, but not His mercy. Or we might perhaps have some inkling about His mercy, but not His righteousness. Now God does all that through the Son, Jesus Christ. And here we take note, especially, of why God, as it were, renamed Himself. That too is a mystery and a marvel that we know God by many names and especially the name Jehovah in the Old Testament. Everyone knows that is the preeminent name of God. The one that stands out time and time again when God has special work to do, special things that He wants to reveal. He always reveals Himself as Jehovah, the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, or the I Am. And then all of a sudden, that name, as it were, almost disappears. That name that's repeated time and time again. That name that was considered so sacred that it wasn't even pronounced by many wrongly. They should have used that name. God revealed time and time again how important names were, pointing to the fact that His own name was very important. And a lot is to be learned from that. But again, what is only dim and by shadow and picture in the Old Testament comes to brilliant light in the incarnation of God's Son and then the naming of that Son, Jesus. Jehovah. Salvation. And when God did that, the whole world should sit up and take notice. God Himself God has given Himself a new name. A name above every name. The name before which every knee should bow. The only name by which men are saved. 
God's name is no longer just God or even Jehovah, as wonderful and glorious as those names are. He's not merely Lord. His name is salvation. Ask yourself, when God did that, how important then is God's work of salvation? Oh yes, God is the Creator. God is the Provider. Many names of God related to that and His work. But one thing God wanted to reveal is that He is Savior and He put that name on His Son in human flesh. Jesus, I am Savior. I am salvation. Now God is also going to reveal through Jesus Christ from what He saves. And God does that over against all the notions of men about what they need salvation from. For indeed, the amazing thing is that because of sin, God has made men miserable. And in their misery, men recognize the need for salvation, but they pervert that too. Man doesn't want salvation from the one thing that truly is his enemy and the thing that oppresses him and brings him down to bondage. Man simply wants relief from his misery. He wants to forget about the fact that death rules over all and no man escapes death. He wants deliverance from the reality that sometimes life is very, very short. He wants some salvation from those who oppress, who prey upon the weak. And man has made all sorts of saviors. And recognize that. Man is an idolater. All men, even the man who says there is no God, who exposes himself thus as a fool, wants a God who will save him, who will in some way save him. And the irony is that not one of them can save. Though they may provide some relief, uh, some comfort for that which man thinks he wants salvation from, but time and time again, what is revealed in our Lord Jesus Christ is what is the true enemy. That unless that enemy is conquered, unless that enemy is defeated, there is no salvation. And that is sin and death. End of story. Time and time again, the Scriptures reveal that even when there is a wonderful, wonderful, amazing salvation, think Israel's deliverance from the bondage of Egypt. Think Noah and his family's deliverance from all the entire wicked world. Eight souls in an ark. But there was no salvation from sin. No deliverance from that evil of death, such as can be brought only by our Lord Jesus Christ in these dim pictures. And Noah and his family is soon sinning on the earth. And the earth is soon corrupted again. Israel's not in the desert a few days. And they're doubting God's goodness. They're blaspheming God's name. They want to go back to Egypt, enter into that bondage. Now it's salvation from sin and death. That's what God works by His Son. That's the salvation. Now, the emphasis in the Catechism is not only what He saves us 
from. He saveth us and delivereth us from our sins. That's important. Don't overlook that. One sign, one mark of the false church, including the false Christian church, is that it wants salvation from everything but. Salvation from sin, if there is such a thing, really amounts to letting the sinner be. Letting them exist. In fact, even promoting sin in the church. The grossest sins. But more than that even, sending the church on its mission and promoting within the church a salvation not only by the church rather than by the Son, but all sorts of human evil, social injustice, racial inequality, economic disparity. All of those things are denial of the Son of God, no matter how much they speak about Jesus and their love for Him. It's a denial of Him. It's boasting of Him in words. So it is important that the Catechism clearly identifies that from which we are saved. That's important also with regard to ourselves. When we consider our salvation and from what God saves us, we must see that anything short of full deliverance from sin would not be salvation by the Son of God. That when it says He is the Savior from sin, that it refers to a complete and total victory over sin. Now, I mention that because it helps us understand the real emphasis of the Catechism here, which is on the fact that He is the only Savior, first of all. He is the only Savior. That's brought out when it says we ought not to seek, neither can find salvation in any other. There is no other, like Isaiah 45. Not only is it true that there is no God who created and who provides for the world, but there's only one Savior. It's almost shocking, by the way, when you read Isaiah 45. Go back and read it again. And God's talking there, and you read the language God is using, and you think He's talking about Christ. He's not. He's talking about Cyrus. And you say, well, how can that be? He was a wicked man. He's an ungodly man. My anointed? What's going on? And the answer is, God is the only Savior. And God was accomplishing salvation, even mighty works of salvation for His people. He was also destroying much evil and wickedness and destroying many idol gods through Cyrus. But it was God doing that. Cyrus was just His instrument. There is only one Savior that's the emphasis when it talks about denying Him even though we boast of Him as words. Remember that, beloved. There are indeed many, many good things God gives us in this life. And He gives them for us to enjoy. If you doubt that, just read the Bible. That's generally not the great snare for the people of God. There have been times when that is a snare, namely, that the church has believed that somehow it's saved by avoiding, staying away from, not indulging in the good gifts God gives us. It's called asceticism. 
It was most common among the monks and the nuns of the Middle Ages. You find that still today in Anabaptist thinking, world flight. We are saved. We become better Christians. We're more pure if we just simply remove ourselves from these good gifts of creation and especially those that can be a danger and a threat like alcohol. That's not true. There's no salvation in things and things themselves are not sinful in and of themselves. But that's generally not been the real threat in the church. The threat is that since they are good gifts, and since they are enjoyable, and since they do bring happiness and pleasure in a very real sense, we identify them as our Savior. Oh, no one here, your own heart and my own heart isn't going to come out and say, well, they saved me. We're too sophisticated for that. But we do view them as our Salvation in one way or another. We rely upon them for our happiness and our joy. Take them away. And we become despondent and despairing. There's only one Savior, and it's our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the difference between true religion and false religion, between true Christianity and false Christianity. And what we need to be aware of is there's very few... Christians, although there are increasingly more and more who do say there's many ways to be saved, there are more names than the name of Jesus Christ, that's to their shame, that's utterly wicked, blasphemous against God, who makes very clear there's only one way, one name by which men are saved. It doesn't matter if they also believe a monotheistic God, or even if they use the name Jesus there's only one Savior. It's God in our Lord Jesus Christ. But notice, furthermore, the catechism from that deduces that salvation from beginning to end is found only in Christ. It's not the case that Jesus is an incomplete Savior because then you would need another Savior. There would have to be. The fact that Jesus is the only Savior implies that He's the complete Savior. Now, what's meant by that? Well, obviously, it doesn't mean that salvation is completed. Even the Catechism brings that out. When it talks about us finding salvation in Him and finding all things necessary to our salvation, Jesus is still saving. He's still working salvation in a very real sense. But that He's a complete Savior means that everything necessary, everything required, everything that belongs to that salvation is located in Him and Him alone and is received only by faith in Him. It means, for example, that salvation isn't limited in the forgiveness of sins. That's not complete salvation. It's the beginning of our salvation. It's the legal beginning of our salvation. It's salvation in principle. But there's another problem with sin. The power of sin. The bondage of sin. Not just the right of sin to hold me in its grasp, but the real power, the corrupting power. I must be delivered from that too. My inability to live unto God in all good works. That's my bondage. I must be delivered from that. So that as we read this morning, 
there is a real hatred and sorrow against sin. And a real love and delight to live according to the will of God in all good works. What's that? That's salvation. It's part of the complete salvation. Complete salvation is He delivers not just my soul, so my thoughts are right, so that I have faith in God, so that there's a real relationship in my heart with Jesus Christ, but my body too. That is part of this great salvation and deliverance I may expect that my body is raised from the grave. Complete. And it means that we don't look for or seek salvation anywhere else. Nowhere else. Not in me. Not in a friend. Not in a doctor. Certainly not in yourself. If you believe and you do live unto God, that's salvation that's given to you. And it came to you from Jesus Christ. And that helps us understand too then the saved. The saved. Amazing thing that all will recognize who God is, that even He is the only Savior. But only some are saved. Who are saved? Those whom God wants to save. Part of being the only Savior is not that there's just only salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. But it means that God is sovereign over salvation. God determines who will be saved and who will not. He is the one that provides and works that salvation from beginning to end. And the saved believe that. And the saved are those alone who seek such a Savior. Oh, they're not saved because of that. That's not the cause or the ground of their salvation. But those who are saved are brought to that. That's part of their faith. Those who are saved are those, in the words of the Catechism, who seek Him, who receive Him, and find all of their salvation in Him. That are content with that salvation, patient in that salvation, and give glory to Him alone for that salvation. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, we give Thee praise and glory and honor as the Savior. And it is our prayer. Thou will strengthen our faith, increase our faith. So we look to Thee alone, through Thy Son, Jesus Christ, for all of our salvation, and that we trust and rely on Him alone to save and redeem us. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.